Hello, I'm Laura Castleton, U.S. Head of Portfolio Construction and Strategy at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of brighter futures for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. All right, thanks so much. Welcome to Closing Bell. I'm Scott Wapner, live from Post 9 here at the New York Stock Exchange. This make or break hour begins with the bull run for stocks. And what, if anything, can stop it? We will ask famed market watcher Ed Yardeni in just a moment when he joins me live right here at the New York Stock Exchange on set. In the meantime, your scorecard with 60 minutes to go in regulation looks like this. A new milestone for the S&P today crosses 4,900 for the first time ever. You can see now it's peeled back a little bit. Why? Because I'm going to show you what yields have done. They've moved higher as this day has progressed. Bit of a squirrely bond auction today. So yields were moving up. There's the 10-year right now at 418. So that's a big story. Tech is too. Stocks like Netflix, NVIDIA, Meta, Microsoft continue to surge. Speaking of Microsoft, it's going for $3 trillion in market cap as a close today. It already topped it on an intraday basis, but we have to watch it now as even it slipped just a bit, a little bit. Apple, well, it's been in that rare air, you know. That stock, though, as we speak, is now red as I look. Well, it's toeing the line. So keep an eye on Apple. It's modestly negative today. Tesla shares, they've been choppy, too. And they're negative now, ahead of earnings in overtime. Star analyst Dan Ives with us here today as well, ahead of that key release. So we got a lot to look forward to now. Let's zero in, though, on our talk of the tape, the rally. Extending yet again, even as some are now wondering whether stocks are starting to look a little too lofty. Our next guest, perhaps one of them. Bullish, no doubt, but now raising some key questions today. Ed Yardeni is the president of Yardeni Research. He's here at Post 9. Good to see you in person. My pleasure. So you wrote the other day, and it certainly had a lot of people talking, and you know it was mentioned many times on this network, exuberant melt-up phase may already be underway, you said. Right. Expand on that. Are you concerned? Well, I've had very bullish outlooks for the market, and I still have a S&P 500 target of 5,400 for the end of this year and 6,000 for the end of next year. My concern is we'll get there all too fast. Too soon. Too soon. I mean, that's what happened to my forecast last year. Last year, at the beginning of the year, I thought we'd get to 4,600 by the end of the year. We got there by July 31st, and then I had to kind of twiddle my, my, my thumbs here and say, okay, what do we do from, from here? And I, I thought we might go sideways. We had a correction, and then we went out to record highs recently. I had a very astute wealth manager on with us, uh, highly regarded the other day, who is Cheryl Young. She said the market's oh, yeah. priced for perfection. Howard Marks, right? He, he was on the network yesterday. He talked about these compounding positives sure. that had, have led stocks to, to yep. where they are. The presumption being that they're all going to fall into place. Is, is that being too presumptuous? Well, I, I don't think it's just a presumption. I mean, that we just saw Fed Governor Waller give a speech, and it was titled, Almost as Good as It Gets, But How Much Longer? So I think we're all looking at the economy, and we're very impressed with its resilience. Certainly, inflation's come down dramatically. Look, look how much the market has come, come up since October of last year, which I think is roughly when everybody concluded that the Fed was done raising interest, raising interest rates. And then suddenly, the conversation became about lowering interest rates. 
imagine what could happen if the Fed actually starts lowering interest rates. That's what I'm, I'm concerned about, is that that could spark a, a, a melt-up in the market. Well, look at what Bullard said yesterday. I mean, he's retired now, but yeah. here's a person who was pretty hawkish now suggesting, well, we're going to cut before 2%. Not that that's a new yeah. thought in any yeah. way. But yeah, it could actually come as early as March, even as the market had yeah. started to talk itself out of March sure. and even price that. Well, look, I really don't, that out. I don't have a problem with the melt-up as long as I figure out when to, when to get out. And that's the problem with melt-up. Melt-ups is they do lead to meltdowns. So I'd much rather have a kind of a slower move, but it's not up to me. It's up, up to the, the market and, and the money that's in there. I think the Fed would be making a mistake to lower interest rates. I think, I, I think Powell's going to start pushing back against it because he's very aware of market forces, and if the stock market just keeps going up, it creates a positive wealth effect, and then that creates a potential for inflation to make a comeback. And by the way, the Middle East is boiling, and that could create a 1970s scenario. So it's either the 1970s or the 1990s, or in my case, in terms of my base case, I'm hoping that it'll be more like the 1920s. Wow. Except for 1929. Yeah, I was going to say, the, <laughs> you're, you're alluding to the Roaring Twenties. Roaring I mean, Twenties, you, yes. you don't want You don't want to have 29 or 2,000. Correct. Um, yep. In terms of melt-ups that end very, very badly. That, that, that's correct. Are, are you... So but you, it's not up to me. You know, I'll, all I can do is just kind of assess the environment. And I think that I'm seeing elements that are very reminiscent of what I lived through back in the late 1990s. Well, do you, I mean, you think the Fed's going to cut this year? Obviously, at some point, right? Well, I've been, uh, you know, I'm usually viewed as a, an optimist and a bull, but I haven't been in the camp that believes that the Fed's going to be cutting four or five times at all. I think actually that's the pessimistic view. I think it's based on the view that the economy is going to possibly have a, a, a recession. I think the economy is resilient. I think it's going to continue to grow. Why mess with success? And I don't think the Fed has actually, what the Fed has done isn't just really tightening. I think it's normalized. We're back to interest rates that are normal. They should be left here instead of fooling around with it, because they'll really regret it if they lower interest rates and the market goes flying higher. What do we want to do with the, the fact that as we came on the air today, I mentioned these bond auctions and you know rates have right. backed up a bit. Are we in a, a danger zone area of rates continuing to back up even further, which is going to depress things like small caps and value stocks? I'm which looking at, you know, well, yeah. today it is for yeah. certain. The Russell 1000, 3000 mm -hmm. are, are, are negative now, and the Russell 2000 was positive, and now it's in the red. Yeah. Well, as you know, the uh, market started to broaden out basically in October of last year. As people kind of concluded the Fed's done raising rates. Uh, but we did build in probably a lot of excitement about the Fed cutting interest rates. And now it's like, well, maybe not so much. And so I, I think that what we have here is a situation where the, the market is focusing on the bond market and the bond market is a concern. I guess my next obvious question is, well, I don't know. I feel like you're, you're kind of concerned about where we are. The, the bulls... Just the speed at which we're going up, quite honestly. Well, but I mean, the, the bulls listen to you and they love what they hear, mm -hmm. right? Bulls want to... this you know, reinforcement that we're all good and this bull market has mm -hmm. legs, but what am I supposed to do if I'm kind of getting concerned about the speed at which we're going up? What do I do? Well, you know, Scott, I've never been uh, very good at uh, giving trading advice. So but you said no one to get out. Well, if it's a melt-up, then we'll have, to, we'll have no choice but to trade. But uh, I don't think now's the time to get out. I think there's still uh, upside for the market, and I don't think it's necessarily going to lead to a melt-up. I'm just more concerned about that possibility. My, my base case is that the, that the market goes to 5,400 by the end of the year and 6,000 
by the end of next year. 5,400 seemed like a ridiculous uh, fantasy, but it's only, what, 10% away, 11% away? 5,100 was, you know, your lofty target excluded was kind of the standard that we got to. Right? You had a lot of these targets going to 51, and you're like, wow, that seems seems lofty. Now they're being raised. Now you look at where we're at, and we're like, well, that's like 4 or 5% higher than where we are now. Yeah, I'm not feeling so lonely anymore. Yeah, yeah. Let's see. Speaking of that, where Bryn Talkington comes down. She's a CNBC contributor, of course, of Requisite Capital Management, joins the conversation now. So, Bryn, nice to have you back. Um, you hear what Edgar Denny you. has to say. What are your own thoughts about this market, where we are, and how fast we've gotten here? Well, I mean, definitely tech has gotten here really fast. I think you have to separate the different sectors. And I think as we're talking about different decades, to me, what I keep hearing is, is this a 1998, 1999? But the reality where this is not 1999 is actually, if you look at, take a step back, two-year rolling returns. So, Scott, the NASDAQ composite is actually negative for the last two years. And the NASDAQ 100 on the last two years is only up about cumulatively 5%. And so last year's numbers were gangbusters. But if you take a step back, the median two-year return for the NASDAQs around 25% over a two-year period, and we're still negative for that whole composite. So I do think there's room to run, and it just does not feel like 1999 when you look at, when you look at those rolling two-year returns. I will say, though, when I look at an NVIDIA up, what, 25% or 21, AMD up almost the same, it feels like everyone's trying to bring forward AI in the next one year. And to me, where the market is ignoring right now is like the big capex that meta amazon google are spending the market's rewarding that today because they're building out their infrastructure so to me i want to know how long is the market going to allow them to spend capex and without monetizing whereas we all know nvidia is just taking all of that capex right to the bottom line all right so ed what do what do we do with this whole ai frenzy now if we look back and we try and make parallels to to 99 you had a lot of stocks going up. Right. They had no earnings. Right. They had eyeballs. Mm-hmm. Okay. The difference now, we have monetizable um, money, money. Yep. Uh, from NVIDIA mm-hmm. and from Microsoft. Yeah, These stocks companies. don't go up the yeah. way they're going up yeah. without being able to monetize sure. AI now. This is not some distant, Correct. let's look down to the end of the rainbow yeah. and hope there's a pot of gold. Microsoft goes to $3 trillion in market cap today. Why? Because they're already monetizing it, both from an enterprise Correct. and consumer standpoint. Yeah. NVIDIA can't sell these chips yeah. fast enough. Does that give you any comfort? Well, absolutely. I mean, I'm, I'm not uncomfortable here. I'm, I'm perfectly comfortable. I, I, you know, have me on again if this market gets to 5,400 by the middle of the year. Are you comfortable with valuations of mega cap stocks? I am, actually. I think that the, these uh, companies are really quite unique on a global basis. I mean, you're not going to find too many companies, if any, uh, of this of this nature, and as you said, they kind of feed on each other, right? Uh, Nvidia is making money by selling chips to to, to the other mega cap eight, as I like to call them. So, um, with regards to the 1999 example, um, I, I look at Cisco back then. Remember what Cisco did? It it went up eightfold from 1997 to 2000, and uh, everybody loved it. And it was the internet play, and now we have a lot of AI plays. I I don't think that AI is Hype, uh, it is hoopla. I think there's maybe way too much excitement about it. I uh, personally have tested some of these programs and find that I have to spend more, t- more, more time proofreading what they wrote than, than I would have if I just sat down and wrote. Sure, but, but there, there's got to be a little bit of hype there too for every sure. NVIDIA and Microsoft. Yeah. Those are two, you know, 
hundred meter yachts. Yes. Okay. Good, good analogy. But those boats mm -hmm. don't necessarily lift every other little no. boat that's out there yeah. that's gotten a 30% appreciation right. in the stock since yeah. the end of October. We need to weed out yeah. the winners from the, the maybes. Look, I mean, the valuation multiple on the mega cap eight is, you know, is certainly excessively high compared to history. If you take them out, then you find some values in the rest of the market, like financials. I think industrials are fine. And I, I still like mid caps, uh, the small cap and the mid cap stocks. I think they they have started to out, outperform and they should outperform. So, Bryn, how about that? This idea that we're yeah. going to have this broadening into small and mid cap stocks and this whoosh of money we had come into the market from you know November 1st, let's say, until the end of the year, belief being, well, this is just going to continue. And you've actually had a move back to quality. You've had a move mm -hmm. back to mega caps uh, yeah. of late. What are we supposed to do with yeah. that? So, so first of all, I think Ed is great. Uh, I, I do disagree, though, on the small cap, and I haven't bought into the small cap rally since it really started. Small caps, especially small cap value, are so incredibly cyclical and tied to GDP growth. And I just think we're in this unique decade, this unique environment where we're late stage in some parts, but AI is giving us a tailwind. So I just think the fat pitch in small cap and especially small cap value, I still want to stand step to the side. I do think, though, like RSP, we added RSP, you know, to our portfolio late last year, which is the equal weight S&P. So I'm still large cap at equal weight because I do think that narrow breadth in a market is not positive. You want wider breadth. So I want to have wider breadth, but stay more in the larger cap or bigger mid cap names and still avoid that cyclicality that I know the small caps, what we have to get right for small caps to do well, I still think is just too much of a gamble. You want to comment on that? Well, I'm, I'm optimistic on the outlook for the economy over the rest of the decade. I, you know, we, we talked about analogies of the past, and I think there is a lot of analogies with the 1920s, particularly the technology-led uh, improvement in the standards of living and the prosperity that resulted. Uh, I think productivity is making a comeback. I, I think it actually started in 2015, got interrupted by the pandemic. Uh, we went from 0.5 annual rate to 1.5% annual rate. We tripled, and I think we're going to go to 3 to 4% by the end of the decade. And that sounds, again, far-fetched, uh, but it's, it's what happens during productivity booms. And if we have a productivity boom, then GDP, mm -hmm. the surprise will be that will have more GDP than, uh, than anyone really anticipated. But if you have a, you know, a consistent, even, not necessarily a backup further in rates, but a steadiness at, at this level, uh, you know, four and a quarter yeah. maybe would be the, that would make the market probably a little bit un uncomfortable. Yeah. Doesn't that put more pressure on things like small and mid caps? I think it's not so much the level as it is the move. I mean, the move up has got everybody jittery because nobody is quite sure, well, where, how high is it going to go back to 5%? And uh, the auction was dis disturbing. I mean, there's still the, the Ray Dalio scenario, which is what uh, we're not that far away if we're not in already a debt crisis. And so that is a big, a big issue. Now he's not the only one talking about no. that and the cost of funding the, the deficit and the yeah. long-term rise in yeah. yields as a result. Yeah. So the, the, de the deficit and the debt issue is certainly still a, still a problem. And as I said, we're not out of the woods with regards to a 1970s scenario if things go badly in the Middle East. I mean, I don't want to you know, sound like I've covered all, all the scenarios so nothing can go right, uh, can go wrong for me. Uh, but uh, I guess what I'm getting at is... My base case is 5,400, 6,000, end of the year, end of the year, and uh, better than expected real GDP growth over the next few years. So maybe instead of 2%, it's more like 3% or more. 
Bryn, the important thing is going to be earnings, obviously. Um, You have to be a rocket scientist who suggests that earnings are going to be the driver of stocks, you know, outside of whatever Fed policy move you you may get. So how are we feeling about that as we're about to get really heavy in the bigger names? And I'm going to ask you about one particularly after you answer this question. Mm -hmm. So if you look at all the 11 sectors, which sector has the biggest earnings year over year growth? I mean, drumroll technology. And so I think that Satya, I think Mark, I think Andy Jassy, I think the, the Aunt Tim Cook, their earnings will be what they are. They will be solid. But I feel quite certain their guidance and their vision around what we're doing, what they're doing around AI and monetizing it. And that excitement is just going to continue to fuel this narrative in the, I'll just say in the queues, in those names, because that guidance is going to be strong around AI and the market just can't get enough of it right now. You're an earnings bull, right? You have a big number. I have a big number. I, last year I was at 225. Maybe we'll come in, coming in a little bit shy of that, but I think 250 this year and 270 next year and then 300 uh, by uh, 20, uh, 2026. So as the market looks at 2026, at the end of 2025, I think we could be at 6,000 on the S&P 500. So 20 times 300. And we justify uh, an elevated multiple because of that, and, and rates yeah. have come down. Economies well, a, remain yeah. the robust. The valuation question has been out there forever. And of course, uh, Chairman Alan Greenspan f- made a famous comment: "How do we know whether uh, you know we're at irrational exuberance valuations?" Uh, I've looked at the history of valuations, and you know what? They don't have as much to do with interest rates or inflation as with the business cycle, which is affected by those. So if we're not going to have a recession anytime soon, and I'm still in that camp, uh, then I think uh, valuation is sort of up in the eyes of the beholder. Well, the problem is, though, you you learn your lesson too late. Correct. As what happened in 2000, right? For, you know, like the JDS Uniphase stocks and and things like that, right? You never learn that valuation was too rich yeah. until something blows well, look, up, and they, then you're they, like, oh, well, yeah. how do we know that? Well, look, we had the tech wreck in 2000, and yet notwithstanding that, the Internet continued to proliferate, and look where we are now with that. And it's the same thing with uh, artificial intelligence. Uh, you know, it, I, I think we're getting maybe a little bit ahead of ourselves in terms of what it can really deliver in terms of productivity. I mean, I think the market's already discounting the roaring 2020 scenario. I think it started to do that when a, a, a OpenAI introduced ChatGPT, and that was November 2022. The market's been going up. And I agree with Brendan that, um, you know, the, the Nasdaq's looking great. Um, but, um, you know, it can also look too great. Well, we wouldn't be talking about Microsoft at $3 trillion in market cap without that chat GPT and open Correct. AI thing that happened late last year and has fueled, as you said, this whole thing. Speaking of uh, tech, Bryn, Tesla, earnings and overtime, you have the stock. Um, this thing has yeah. not traded well after the last three releases, down mm-hmm. almost 10% in each occasion. What are your expectations? So, I mean, the chart looks terrible, lower highs, lower lows. So from a technician, that's never a good sign. You want that $200 to hold. There's really pretty decent support there. I mean, you want earnings to be going higher. Q4 2022, they had about $1.19. I think expectations are for 79 cents. So, Scott, that needs to start going the, the other way. Um, so I think that, to me, the most important, the most important point is, are we going to get mercurial? Elon, or are we going to get visionary Elon? The second part that I'm sure he'll get asked by one of the analysts is, you know, he made that commentary of he doesn't know if he wants to innovate a Tesla. 
unless he has more ownership of the stock. Well, that's not going to get worked out in the next in the next few days or weeks. So I think that's going to be a headache and a and a and a, and a like a, a wet weight on the on the stock right now. And so I think longer term, though, this year can be one of those transition years. Elon, there's no better innovator and there's no better person that has the manufacturing prowess coupled with innovation than Elon Musk. We just need to get the sentiment and we need to get the earnings in the right in the right direction. It's going to be exciting to watch uh, in overtime. Bryn, thank you very much. Ed, it's great to see you in person here at Post My 9. My pleasure. We'll see you soon. That's Ed Yardeni right here on Closing Bell. Let's send it now to Christina Partzinevelos for a look at the biggest names she's watching into the close. Christina. Well, let's talk about ASML because shares are up about 10% after posting strong earnings and orders that more than tripled sequentially. Um, what we're seeing from the semiconductor equipment maker is that the 2024 guide was weak, yes, but that was already factored into the stock price. And management really focused a lot on the 2025 catalyst that should drive new EUV orders, which are really expensive, and in turn help growth. And that's why you're seeing shares pop uh, 9% now. And AMD, Advanced Micro Devices, jumped more than, let's see it, 5% right now in today's trading after New Street Research upgraded the stock to buy. There's been a lot of upgrades lately. The firm said AMD is the best play for data center AI chips, especially if the company's $400 billion addressable market forecast actually bears out. Both AMD and at ASML hit new 52-week highs today. Say that five times fast. Christina, we'll see you soon. Thank you. That's Christina Partzinevelos. We are just getting started right here on Closing Bell. Up next, we're gearing up for that Tesla release. Star analyst Dan Ives is standing by to break down what he'll be watching when those numbers hit in overtime. He's going to join us here post nine next, just after the break. We're live from the New York Stock Exchange, and you're watching Closing Bell on CNBC. Did you hear that? That's what an estimated 500 horsepower sounds like. give it to you. How about that? That's a premium banging Olufsen sound system with 18 speakers and a Biosonic sound experience. And that, that's our legacy. You ready to be a part of it? Go, give it to you. Unlock the energy of the all-electric ZDX Type S. Order now at Acura.com. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. We're back. Tesla shares lower ahead of the company's Q4 earnings release in overtime. That stock's been under pressure, on track for its longest losing streak now since 2016. This amid ongoing price cuts, shrinking profit margins, and slowing demand alongside increased competition. Joining me now here post-9 to discuss Wedbush's Dan Ives. Welcome back. Great to be here. So I'm not sure if you heard Brent Talkington a moment ago, a shareholder, big believer, in Elon and Tesla, and yet she says the most important thing she's watching is all about Elon. Mm -hmm. Not pricing, not margins, not market share, not this, not that, it's all about Elon. Look, I mean, he definitely, you know, the, you can't put the, the sort of 
issue back in terms of what he talked about with AI, 25% ownership. And that's definitely caused some nervousness out there. But And that'll be something I expect him to sort of reiterate, that he's committed to Tesla. He's not going anywhere. I think that's something that's important on the conference call to hit. But no doubt. The margins, the price cuts—that I think is front and center for many investors. Okay, so let's let's take those um, margins. Are they going to be hurt by more price cuts? Look, I mean, I, look, we believe coming in that 90, 95 percent of price cuts were done. They've continued to cut. You prices. told me that you've told me yeah. that like three appearances ago. Yeah, and look, and, I, and the, the problem is, is that you know, as they continue to cut margins, last year it was the right move. This year, you got to hold the line. I think you could have around the edge of some price cuts. They need to draw a line in the sand that the vast majority of price cuts are done. You're going to have a sub $30,000 vehicle, we believe, over the next 12 to 18 months. And I think that's the important thing. You cannot keep giving away that margin advantage. That's the important thing that we believe they ultimately do lie in the sand this quarter. And I think that's something that the streets focus What's, on. He's, like a, he's in a price war with, with the Chinese. Right. I mean, he's already losing or has lost the lead there. So where does this go from here? I mean, look, in China, this was a record quarter for Q4. So the one thing is, from a demand perspective, that poker move has paid off. I think now when it comes to Tesla, the focus is 2024, you can't continue to cut prices. And I think if margins start to trough, and they talk about that and upticking from here, I think volumes 2.1, 2.2 million, then at that point, I think the bottom is in for the stock. What right? if the new reality here is just lower priced vehicles from, from Tesla go, going forward? And that's just the way it's going to be. Because in an environment of slowing EV uptake, I think it slowed more than people thought. Yeah. Now he's in this battle in, in, in China with the competitors there that there's no other option. Yeah, and, and look, and I think for the recognition now, you've definitely seen Bloom come off the rose for overall EVs. We've seen that globally. But the question is, do, do you want to own a Tesla or do you want to own an EV? I still believe they continue to own the market along with BYD. But now you got to hold, you really have to hold serve in terms of what's happened from a price perspective. Because this is all, in my opinion, the reason that we're long-term bullish. It's just the start of the next phase of the Tesla story in terms of autonomous, FSD, Doge, the rest of the Tesla story. So we are going through. I view tonight, it's a moment of truth. I think it's going to Again? be a moment of truth. Well, Again? It's, it's a moment of truth around margins. And I think this is, I think investors' frustrations built. We've seen that the last, especially the you last You use month. that a lot, the moment of truth. I mean, maybe investors are getting sick and tired of, of waiting for this. And why also has the stock over the last three earnings reports the day after traded down near 10% in each occasion? Well, it goes back to the last few quarters. You need good communication on the conference calls. Last conference call, we talked about it was a disaster. We talked about those movement of truths, but you haven't had the inflection point. And even though the stock worked last year, this is important for the next phase of the Tesla growth story. You need adults in the room. I expect Musk to step up tonight. And I do view this as an inflection point rather than the start of a, a negative cycle. You, you've had to, on occasion, like anybody else, whether it's you know us in the media or investors or an analyst, decide what he says in certain occasions is is like legit like should i take him at face value or is he just throwing something out there on, on social media like the the 25 percent thing what am i supposed to think about that 
So I think the 25%, I mean, and we talked about it, it's something where it's an issue from an AI perspective in terms of a big part of the, the Tesla story. But right now for investors, you don't want to see Musk adding uncertainty and some sort of you know, issue with the board. And that's why I think that's a little more talking rather than, than action. But that's why it's, when he talks to investors, he needs to lay it out in terms of I'm here, I'm committed. The price cuts was a 2023 story, not 2024. We're gaining share. China's strong. If that happens, then this is a stock that starts to significantly reverse from here. The, the elephant in the room, I, I suppose, at this point is the future of Twitter. What happened? Do you think he's going to have to sell more shares in, well, in, I, in Tesla? I, I don't think he's going to have to sell more shares. I do think he's going to get outside capital to ultimately build X into a super X, app. X I keep yeah. forgetting. X, X, X. You don't think, he, you think he's done selling Tesla stock to deal with any, you know, debt-related issues yeah. with, with X. I think for now, he's done, and if he needs ultimate capital, that would be outside capital. I think that black cloud is more in the rearview mirror. Okay, let me ask you about two other things you cover. One is Microsoft. We mentioned, I'm going to look at it right now, because it was over $3 trillion in market cap today for the first time ever. Now, it slipped a little below that, and we'll watch it between now and the close. How did it get here? Is it all about the chat GPT, yeah. open AI and, thing? And, and me and you have talked about on the show, you know, really for the last year, the open AI, the co-pilot, Nadella really leading AI, along with the godfather of AI, NVIDIA. This right now, from a monetization perspective, for every $100 of cloud spend, this is an incremental of $35 to $40. I mean, I could argue the Microsoft story, you still have a trillion, trillion and a half of value not captured in the Microsoft story, which is why I think we sit here a year from now and we're only halfway through the monetization. Let me ask you about Apple too, because that stock looked awful, right? The chart was a mess. Yep. And here we are, we're on the doorstep of 200 bucks again. Sure. Amid some suggestions that maybe last quarter they sandbagged it and now they're going to blow it out of the park this time because they sandbagged it. Yeah, I mean, look, first two weeks of the year in New York City cab drivers bearish on Apple. And I think what, what started, and we've seen with our checks, I think it's going to be a strong quarter relative to iPhone. I think the China demise story is more of a fictional story. I'm not saying it's champagne and roses, but I think better than expected. And the renaissance of growth, you're going to see iPhone growth, services back to double digits. And I think this is one. That's how you get to a $225, $250 stock going forward. Lastly, because I do have to go, what about regulatory issues around this company? Not only with the watch, but these, you know, r reports that, you know, DOJ is looking around, what do we think? I think it's, it's going to be background noise and especially, you know, it's something that in the beltway it's going to be more and more front and center. But I don't necessarily think for now it's going to impact the stock because the growth versus regulatory. Right now investors are focused on renaissance of growth with Cupertino next Thursday. All right, I appreciate it, Dan. Thank you. No, thanks for having All right, me. that's Dan Ives of Wedbush joining us up next. Big opportunity in small caps. Well, Bank of America's Jill Carey Hall is back. She's drilling down on the top reasons that she does think small caps are just getting started. We'll do that after the break. And as we do head to break, let's get a quick check on shares of Netflix. They are surging today after that strong subscriber growth and revenues that beat the street. Closing bells coming right back. That stock's up near 11%. Did you hear that? That's what an estimated 500 horsepower sounds like. How about that? That's a premium banging Olufsen sound system with 18 speakers and a Biosonic sound experience. And that... 
That's our legacy. You ready to be a part of it? Let's go, give it to you. Unlock the energy of the all-electric ZDX Type S. Give up. Order now at Acura.com. Welcome back. Small caps again sitting out the rally. The Russell 2000 is lagging today and also heading for a negative month. Our next guest sees five reasons the group is poised to spring higher from here. Joining me now, Bank of America Securities, head of U.S. small and mid-cap strategy, Jill Carey Hall. Jill, welcome back. Nice to see you. Thanks. Thanks for having me. You know, what looked like it was going to be a great trade now kind of sputtering around a little bit. And it's down the Russell is today. What are we thinking? Well, I think even though we're starting off with a, a bad January after the 4Q rally, it doesn't necessarily mean we're going to have a bad year. There used to be these January effects in small caps where January used to be the best month and, and it used to be predictive of the year. But we haven't really seen that. It's not necessarily a great signal of how the year is going to end up anymore in recent decades. And we do think this is going to be the year you want to buy small caps. I think a lot of the macro indicators that are most correlated with small caps performance, when you think about PMIs, when you think about um, you know consumer sentiment, small business optimism. A lot of those are inflecting, um, turning more positively, bottoming off troughs, and you know this is an environment where profits growth is bottoming and picking up, and and that's an environment where smaller stocks usually tend to, to outperform larger larger stocks. So we, you know I, I think this is. Go ahead. No 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 please you finish. My apologies. No, no worries. I was going to say, I think, you know, investor sentiment is starting to turn a bit more positively. And, and obviously we've seen, you know, some of the mega cap leadership from last year persist amid earnings this year. But, you know, a lot of those mega cap growth stocks are the more crowded areas of the market. And, you know, small caps are an area that even though sentiment is finally starting to turn positive on small caps with what we track with investor flows and surveys, um, I, investors aren't really all there yet. So I think there's still a lot more room to run on on positioning and, and flows relative to the more crowded areas of the market. A headwind, you have to believe, is going to continue to be yields, though, right? Today is a perfect example. You have, you know, as yields move up, smalls go down. I think if we're in a backdrop where Fed is cutting rates, which we expect them to start cutting in, in March of this year, looking for 100 basis points of cuts throughout the year, you know, typically small caps outperform in those environments. I think the biggest risk is if rates stay high, you still have small caps with a lot of short-term floating rate debt. So refinancing risk is definitely the, the biggest risk out there for small caps with respect to rates. I think the somewhat good news is that it's, you know, seems largely priced in to the index when you look at how much multiples for, for small caps have contracted over the period that rates have gone up. Um, but I do think for, for some sectors within small caps, real estate, um, you know, consumer, some others, this is, um, you know, one of the biggest risks to watch. Usually comes down to banks whenever you bring up the Russell because the regionals are such a large portion of that. Um, and in many cases, it's because of the refinancing risk and all of that around commercial real estate. Are you concerned about that? Well, I think, you know, commercial real estate exposure is, is still relatively small, but certainly, you know, a risk we're watching, you know, I think looking in tandem with credit conditions, um, you know, a lot of the credit signals that we're monitoring is important. And, you know, we were we were we got negative more negative on small caps last year in, in the you know winter spring after the everything happened with the banks. But, you know, I think we're, we're seeing a, a, an incrementally more optimistic backdrop for for banks. Um, you know, I think if, if M&A picks up, that could 
be beneficial to, to some of the bigger parts of small caps, um, you know, biotech, financials. We've, we've started to see that happen for, for healthcare. Um, so, you know, I think some of the biggest parts of small caps look, you know, incrementally better than, than they did last year or the year before. We'll leave it there. Good to see you again. Jill Carey Hall joining us uh, today. We'll see you again Thanks. soon from Bank of America. Up next, Microsoft's latest milestone. We mentioned it already, the tech giant doing something for the first time in its 48-year history. We're going to drill down on it and find out what could be next for that stock when we come back on Closing Bell. Mentioned we are watching shares of Microsoft very closely after topping $3 trillion in market cap earlier today. We're going to be penny watching over this final stretch, Steve Kovac, because we're literally pennies away to see if we're going to close at this level. Yeah, and it's it's a huge milestone for Microsoft, Scott. I mean, this is, the, like you said, first time hitting $3 trillion. We saw it a few days ago passing Apple to become the most valuable company on the public market. And the, the reason why is really clear. It's, it's the AI leader right now. And it's unquestionable that it is the one company that has a real product to sell to consumers, to businesses. It's that co-pilot product. Expect a lot of chatter about this next week when Apple, uh, when Microsoft rather, reports earnings. Uh, on top of that, all this uh, glow around AI, Scott, is also adding to the Azure cloud business, which they were doing a lot of cost cutting, helping their customers spend less on Azure cloud, which really damaged that hyper growth that Azure cloud had been experiencing. But now we're seeing it reaccelerate because not only are people buying into Microsoft's products, the relationship with OpenAI running on Azure Cloud, anytime people are using OpenAI, that indirectly or directly rather benefits the Azure Cloud growth again. So that's going to be a huge number to watch in addition to any commentary around Copilot next week, Scott. Yeah, Steve, I've got Mike Santoli uh, sitting here as well. I, I just love your thought as you've watched what's happened with this name sure. uh, over the last you know 12 months, but especially lately with this additional ramp. Everything Steve said is true and has been true for some time, which is an interesting part of the market where it just sort of decides to capitalize something in a more aggressive way. Now, it's never been at $3 trillion before market cap, but it has been more expensive than this based on forward earnings. So it all is relative to how big the company itself is growing, how much it's also just sort of rolled up other businesses, even with the investment in open AI. So you can see why it's there. Um, I still think it's going to make people uncomfortable that we're talking about these huge numbers. You got three trillion, three trillion, and now Meta with a trillion, and, and you know, Alphabet is, is between the two. So it's obviously still not going to uh, detract from the top heaviness worries, but we know why Microsoft's there. By the way, also, software really overtaking semis as the leadership of the tech sector. Yeah, and Steve, Mike makes a great point in, in terms of where the valuation of this company has been throughout the years. You, you do have commentary out there now that, oh, the mega caps are, are so expensive now on a forward price-to-earnings ratio. Microsoft is one of those that's mentioned in that conversation. Yeah, that's it, that's exactly right. It, it, it does seem expensive, but look, you if you want to look, let's chart out a little bit farther, Scott, but beyond this you know, the more immediate term of uh, co-pilot of AI, anything they're planning on the PC side, uh, probably coming this spring. Uh, Activision, we're forgetting about that. That deal closed uh, uh, last year or last fall, rather. And this uh, earnings report coming up is going to represent Activision. I think they said something uh, about $50 million in revenue just from that Activision acquisition. And we also know Satya Nadella is not done. He 
has plans to ha make this a $500 million a year in revenue company. We're not even close to that yet. So this is just the very early innings of the plans that Nadella has had. And by the way, like I was telling you on halftime earlier today, he's been laying the groundwork for this for his, uh, since he started this job a decade ago. That meant putting more emphasis on cloud, realizing they lost in the mobile world, uh, basically negating that Nokia acquisition that his predecessor, Steve Ballmer, did, and really focusing on and building out the infrastructure needed for this AI moment that they're in now. And then, again, building towards the future where this, in his view, will become a $500 million a year revenue company. Yeah, great points. I appreciate you joining us here on Closing Bell. Steve Kovac. All right, still ahead, your earnings setup. IBM is among the big names reporting results next hour. We're going to break it that down next. Welcome back. Some news on Ford. That company recalling nearly 1.9 million of its Explorer SUVs due to a trim piece that can fly off the vehicles and potentially be hazardous for other drivers watching that stock. It's down about 3% on the day. Closing bell's coming right back. Market Zone, CNBC senior markets commentator Mike Santoli here to break down the crucial moments of this trading day. Plus, we look ahead to two major earnings releases in overtime. Christina Partzinevelos watching IBM and Phil LeBeau watching Tesla. Mike, I turn to you. Um, bad bond auctions have been a bit of kryptonite uh, for the market, at least momentarily. Yeah. Yields crept up today after that, and stocks went down. That was definitely, um, I, I guess, the, the sort of little bit of grit that the market uh, had a hard time swallowing. Uh, we did talk, you know, three hours ago, and I said, you know, it's starting to look a little bit like a chase. Maybe we go looking for something to worry about. That was pretty much a handy excuse. And also all these landmarks and these round numbers getting hit, the $3 trillion, the trillion dollars on Meta, the 4900 on the S&P, NDX up 50% in 12 months. All of this stuff together, uh, you know, kind of makes it seem as if we've come a long distance. I don't think it necessarily changes the overall picture. Uh, there was certainly a willingness to believe in the old favorites today, even off of a Netflix number that really had no ripple effects on the other businesses. So we'll see where it, uh, where it does go if it was just kind of a, a short-term hiccup. All right, we'll see what IBM does. And over time, Christina Partzinevelos reports earnings. Yeah, well, it's definitely trying to reposition itself as a software-led company, and this upcoming earnings report should shed some light on those AI endeavors like its Red Hat business and its new Watson X AI data platform. But investors are expecting a bump in consulting business, but constrained IT budgets could put a cap on software sales. Both those two categories contribute 75% of IBM's total revenues. JP Morgan also expects a more favorable foreign exchange environment and a renewal cycle for IBM hardware. The big question is though whether the company can hit 10.5 billion in free cash flow for the year and you have shares trading near all-time high valuation highs IBM will really have to report in line with this quarter and an expansion uh, to their previous 2024 guidance in order to support the stock at these levels and keep the bears at bay but you can see shares are up what 23 percent in just a one-year period all right we'll see you in overtime see what happens there as we will with Tesla Phil 
Uh, Scott, four numbers we're going to watch for. First of all, it's the earnings per share. 73 cents a share is what the street is expecting. That's not going to be the big driver here. It's gross margins, automotive gross margins, excluding zero emission vehicle credits. 15.7% is the metric, to, to fo- the number to focus on. There you see free cash flow. One other number, what do they say about delivery guidance for 2024? The expectation is 2.1 million vehicles will be delivered this year. Do they give us a number for guidance or do they give us the, well, we're always shooting to increase by 50%. Some years we'll make it, some years we don't. We'll see in a couple of minutes when Tesla reports its results. Scott, back to you. Yep, Phil, thanks so much. Phil LeBeau, we'll see him in overtime, of course, when those numbers hit. Stock has not traded well No. uh, the last three periods in the day after earnings. Right, and uh, the earnings have come down quite a bit. I mean, even for this calendar year, which we're not going to hear about right now, uh, come down substantially. The stock is tacked in the same direction. You know, it's hard to call it much of a a bellwether of anything except for, you know, a certain segment of investors who really do kind of use it as a gauge of whether they want to take on more risk or or shed it. So um, we'll see how it does trade. I don't think that we can really lean back on the 50% volume growth type vague numbers. It's much more about what does the market look like right now? How are margins holding up based on how you're having to price the product? So we touched, as you said, these milestones today. Microsoft goes over $3 trillion in market cap for the first time. Doesn't look like we're going to get a close yeah. above that level. The S&P goes above 4900 yeah. for the first time ever. Doesn't look like we're going to get yeah. a close above that level. And the Russell 2000 fails at 2000 again. That's another one that's been in play for uh, for quite some time. So, again, see if it's just maybe a stutter step or something worse. We shall see. Uh, we can't wait for those earnings as well. The bell's ringing, which means those are moments away. Into OT now with Morgan and John. That's what an estimated 500 horsepower sounds like. How about that? That's a premium banging Olufsen sound system with 18 speakers and a Biosonic sound experience. And that, that's our legacy. You ready to be a part of it? Unlock the energy of the all-electric ZDX Type S. Order now at Acura.com.